Welcome to Live, Lead, and In Between. We are still on our summer break for the podcast, but thought I would throw something out there for you guys to listen to. So I had the opportunity to uh, deliver the Father's Day message at uh, the church I serve at, and so I wanted to throw that out there for everyone who listens to the podcast to uh, listen and enjoy. So without further ado, enjoy. You get me today, and I'm excited about that. And I told my wife, I said, <laughs> well, thank you. I told my wife, I said, you're either going to be proud or you're going to be uh, embarrassed. So prepare for both. Come that way. Um, so we'll go with it from there. But I thought in honor of Father's Day that we would actually start off with some dad jokes. Is that okay? Okay. Now, I love dad jokes. I'm, I'm telling you, like, I love them. And I'm going to have a hard time because I, even as I was putting these together, I was laughing, like, un, like uncontrollably. I told my wife these jokes, and she, you know, the eye roll happens every time these jokes, but I'm, I, I love them. So I'm going to, there's a couple of them. And so we're just got to go through them. I just have to get it out of my system today. So here we go. So number one dad joke I have, did you know Tesla's don't have that new car smell? They have more of an Elon Musk, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. See, it's good. It's good, right? I, I like it. Okay. So that's number one. See, I told you, I'm going to have a hard time getting through these. Oh, my son, I'm embarrassing him back there right now. Um, number two, what do you call an, an espresso with a cold? Coffee. Ah, yeah, okay, all right, we'll move on. All right, <laughs> that one was kind of weak, all right? Let's go to, let's go to the third one. Um, my doctor told me I'm going deaf. The news was hard for me to hear. <laughs> See, yeah, that's kind of the laughter, I, 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 my wife wife gives me here. All right. And the last one, I promise. And I'll, I'll, I'll stop with the dad jokes. I think if we had a camera on my son back there, he's doing this, right? Um, happy Father's Day. So I ordered, chick- I ordered a chicken and an egg on Amazon. I'll let you know. <laughs> See, now that one's good, right? That one's good. I, I mean, I, I love dad jokes. I, and I, I used to, when, when my, and my dad's here, but when my dad would make jokes that everybody else thought was funny, I'm like, how in the world are people thinking these are funny? All right. And, and then I got to be a dad and got older and I started thinking corny things were funny too. Um, so it's just part of, I guess, being a dad. So um, there's a lot of stuff that comes with being a dad, right? Uh, there's joy, there's exhaustion, there's stress. Um, joy, it just to give you an idea of the kind of joy that I get to experience in my house. I'll tell my daughter to clean her room. And when I do that, um, she, she goes and she cleans her room the best of her two-year-old ability. But I find out that she's utilized the HVAC air duct system to do so, right? So I'll go and I'll have to stick my arm this deep down the vent to pull out all the things that she's cleaned up. And I walk out and I go, wow, that's, that's great. And then exhaustion, there's been times I have literally... Uh, went in because one of the kids was having a rough night and I went in to, to comfort them to make sure they were okay and uh, woke up the next morning in the floor and not known what happened, right? That level of exhaustion. And then the stress uh, of being a father. Um, I was on a, a video call with my son and he, he said, dad, you've got something, you got something on your beard. And I said, what do you, what do you mean I got something on my beard? And he's like, yeah, it's, it's over here on this side. And I was like, oh, I was like, I know that that's white hair. And I remember the day it showed up and that was your fault right? Straight up your fault, right? So the stress that's involved, but I think most of all, it requires faith to be a dad, faith to be a father. Um, there's, there's this book I was reading, or I am reading, that we're going to turn into a study here. It's called For the Body, and it's by Timothy Tennant, and he, he makes a statement 
with regard to faith and promises that God makes. He says that the promises of God are, are often liabilities before their assets. And I read that and I thought, wow, that's pretty deep. The promises of God are often liabilities before their assets. And he's talking about children, right? When children are born, they can't do anything. All you've got is somebody who needs you every moment of every day. Um, and, you know, Scripture goes on to call children arrows in the hand of a trained warrior. And it says, happy is the man who has a quiver full. And I would add, tired is the man who has a quiver full. So as a father, I believe that, that faith is an absolute requirement because, because how, many, how many know who have kids that sometimes those arrows and those quivers aren't as straight as they need to be right off the bat. And you got to work them a little bit before you can fire them through that boat. Amen? Right? you got to work them a little bit. So it requires a lot of faith in that process. And so today, I'm kind of going to take you through um, a couple stories dealing with faith. Uh, we're going to cover two, two different stories found in Scripture. And uh, I think they're important for, for dads, they're important for moms, they're important for anybody who would hear them, uh, and how we can compare and contrast faith today. So I'm going to be reading out of uh, the book of Luke to start off with, and I'm going to be using the New Living Translation because that's what I got. I'm sure they'll have one up on the screen behind me, so follow along, and uh, I'll read the whole thing, and then we'll kind of go back go back through it there. So um, Luke 7, uh, chapter 7, verses 1 through 10, says this. It says, when Jesus had finished saying all this to the people. Now, most times in Scripture, you know, people preach out of, 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 out of Scripture, and you find this a lot. When Jesus got done talking, because when Jesus got done saying things, people started processing. So it says, when Jesus had finished saying all of these things to the people, he returned to Capernaum. At that time, there was a highly valued slave of a Roman officer um, that was sick and near death. When the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some respected Jewish elders to ask him to come and heal his slave. So they earnestly begged Jesus for help, uh, uh, to help the man. If anyone deserves your help, he does, they said. For he loves the Jewish people and even built a synagogue for us. So Jesus went with them. But just before they arrived at the house of the officer, excuse me, the officer sent some friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home, for I am not worthy of such an honor. I am not even worthy to come out and meet you. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. He goes on to say, I know this because I am a man I am under authority. I'm under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need say, go and they go or come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to the crowd that was following him, he said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. And when the officer's friends returned to his house, they found the slave completely healed. Now, that passage is, is, is a passage that's very strong when you, when you break it apart. And I kind of want to do that a little bit. So I want to read back through and I want to stop at certain points and kind of work through some of this. When we start back at the, at the beginning, we, we find this Roman officer. And if you read any, any of these little notes, footnotes in your, your Bible, a lot of times, they'll call these Roman officers centurions, right? Has anybody ever watched the movie Centurion? It's been on uh, TV. Okay. So centurions, um, I, I, I had to look them up because, you know, I, I went through world history and stuff and, you know, I watched the movie and I was kind of curious about the character and what the responsibilities of centurions were. And so I kind of want to give you that. So the, the responsibilities of a centurion, uh, they, had the, they were responsible for training the legionnaires, which were the foot soldiers of the Roman Empire. 
uh, assigning duties. Um, they were to maintain discipline among the ranks. And, and there were certain expectations that these men had on them. Uh, number one expectation was they were to display valor in battle no matter what. And they were to stand resolute even when things weren't going well. That was, that was a centurion. That was the makeup of, of the person that occupied this position. And here you have the centurion. It says, when the officer, the centurion, heard about Jesus, he sent some respected Jewish elders to ask him to come and heal his slave. Now, I don't know about you, but that reminds me of the scripture that says faith comes by hearing. Because this centurion, he heard. He heard about Jesus. He hadn't met him. He heard him, and he sent people to ask. So faith comes by hearing. And that scripture says that faith comes by hearing and the hearing the good news of Christ. So again, this man had never met Jesus personally. He just simply heard about Jesus. He heard Jesus had a reputation. He knew that miracles followed him. So he heard about Jesus, and he sent someone to get Jesus. Now, he sent some respected Jewish elders. That always, I, I read that and I laughed a little bit because even though he had had a little bit of faith in what was going on, he still wanted to stack the deck a little bit. So he sent some people that he thought Jesus would listen to. You ever done that before? You got faith that God said something? God said this, it's gonna happen, but you know what? I'm gonna stack the deck because I wanna make sure that it happens. So, so my son, we were, we were fishing um, last weekend and uh, we, we, we literally caught 40 fish and I know, right? That's never happened to me in my entire life. I, I, I took pictures because I knew no, no one would believe me. <laughs> I took, when we got to 36 fish, we were catching them so quickly out of both ends of the boat, I couldn't get the phone out quick enough, right? Uh, so we were catching these fish, but when we got there, I was baiting my hook, and uh, he had already had his done. He was prepped and ready the night before, and uh, he, he wanted to go with a, some corn, and so he put some corn on his bait and threw it out, and the minute it hit the water, a fish grabbed it, right? And he was like, oh, there's fish here. <laughs> and I was like, yes, there are. There are fish here. So then he went and took a handful of corn because he wanted to stack the deck. And he threw that corn out there into the water. He goes, I want them to know that I'm here. <laughs> and I was like, okay, <laughs> I think they're going to know that you're here. But we literally caught 40 fish that one day. I don't know if it was because he stacked the deck a little bit with the corn, but I feel like a lot of times we do that and we want to do that. We may have faith that God has said something and spoken, but we want to have the deck stacked in our favor just a little bit. And I think this, this Roman officer, the centurion was doing that. He sent some respected Jewish elders to ask them to come and heal his slave. And then these Jewish elders walk up and they're talking to Jesus and they, they, they give away their, their um, lack of understanding. And they say, if anyone deserves your help, and no one deserves the help of Jesus. Jesus, that, that's the whole point of grace, right? But they come up and say, if anybody deserves your help, this guy does. So they're petitioning Jesus uh, for, for this help. Um, and then, you know, he goes on where he comes to this moment where Jesus is like, okay, I'll go with you. And they're going with him and, and the guy sends some, some servants out to stop him and just says what I call the money statement of the scripture, just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. Now this, like, I, I can't imagine, I mean, I can't imagine saying that statement, but I don't know that I've ever spoke with that kind of faith. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. Just say the word. There's songs, right? We sing it. There's a song called Say the Word. We've, we've sang it here before. Say the word and it's done, right? But he says this big faith statement of say the word 
from where you are. This centurion who's never met Jesus before has a huge amount of faith in what Jesus has to give. Huge, huge amount of faith. And he has this faith because he's heard about Jesus, but also because he understands authority. And he goes on to say, I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers. You know, as, as believers, as disciples, we're under the authority. Anybody agree with that? We're under, we're under the authority of Jesus. This man understood that because he was under the authority and, and don't know if you know this, but authority isn't anything mystical. Authority is simply delegated power, right? If you've ever been pulled over by anybody ever been pulled over, you can admit it. It's not showing you, right, on, on the screen. So I remember getting, I was, again, another fishing story. I was headed to take my son and uh, our, his cousin fishing, and I was headed over to pick her up. And uh, I didn't see the speed limit sign that said 35, and I was doing 45. And uh, the authority that was sitting in his car on, <laughs> down the road saw me uh, and pulled me over. Now, the only thing that made me stop the car was the fact that I know that this guy has authority. He has delegated power from the government, and he, he, if I don't stop, he, he's got the ability to stop me, right? This has been delegated to him. So authority is simply delegated power, and the centurion, he recognizes this because of the stories that he is hearing. Pastor Herzen often says the gospel is overheard, right? He's hearing these stories about Jesus, so he realized that, that Jesus has power. Now, there have been times in my own life where I have felt like I've heard the Lord speak, right? And I, I, I go, just say the word, right? You have power, you say it, it is. And then I turn around but, and I'll say, but if you could have 12 other people confirm that for me. I like the muffled laughter because that means you've done it too, right? Say the word, God, and it is. And if while I'm at Starbucks in the line, the guy can reach out and hand me my coffee and say, the Lord said, and I'll be like, I knew it was you, right? I knew it. I operate like that. Is anybody with me? Right? This centurion, though, he's not operating like that. He's like, just say the word. You don't even have to come to my house. Like, I'm not worthy to even come out and meet you. You're not worthy. Like, I'm not worthy for you to come out. Just say the word from where you are because you have Authority, And then in the scripture goes on and something that blows my mind. Jesus heard this and was amazed. And I think, what does it take to amaze Jesus? Like what? What does it take to amaze the son of God? I mean, that's a valid question, I think. But it, it says Jesus heard this and he was amazed. I mean, here was a man that was outside of the current covenant. He got it. He understood faith. He understood authority. He understood that there was a promise associated with faith. He had heard about Jesus, but didn't know him. He had heard about, but didn't even, hadn't even walked with him. And this guy got it. And I think that is what amazed Jesus. Because he goes on to say, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. And those, those are the people who should have gotten it. I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel is a very convicting statement to the people of God. The people who lived out the song that we sang beforehand. 
ripped apart the waters, walked me out of Egypt, provided for me manna from heaven. I mean, like crossed over the Jordan on dry. I mean, literally people that saw, whose ancestors saw and who were, uh, who watched you. I haven't seen faith like this at all of Israel. So that's, that's a story of an extreme amount of faith. And it sounds good, right? We, we hear that and we're like, I want to be that guy. I want to be the guy that says, you say the word and it is done. You say the word, if I, you say it, I believe it, right? Because everything is made up of what he says. We want to be like that. But I think, I think we wind up acting more like the story I'm about to share. Now in this one, I'm going to kind of walk through it instead of reading the whole thing. And this is found in Mark chapter 9, 17 through 24. Um, and it starts off, it says, one, one of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, teacher, I brought my son so that you could heal him. Here's a father. I brought my son to you so that you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever his, this spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. He says, so I asked your disciples to cast out this evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Now, when I read that statement, that feels awkward for me because I'm a disciple. Any, any disciples in the room? Come on. I read that statement and it feels awkward for me because I would not want to be standing next to Jesus while this guy is saying, so I asked your disciples to cast out this demon, but they couldn't do it. When I was, when I was preparing for this, it, it popped in my head and that's how God tends to work with me. Um, I, I'm on Facebook probably way too much, um, but... Does anybody like memes, right? Those little memes they put up with the, okay, so this little picture popped in my head. So I went ahead and went to a meme creator and created this. You guys will throw it up. I feel like this is what the disciples may have looked like, right? Like they're like, Jesus is like, they're, they're talk, he's talking to Jesus. So I asked your disciples, but they couldn't do it. And, and he, they're, they're just like, oh, <laughs> right? That's that moment. That's that moment right there. And I, the scripture doesn't tell us um, who the disciples were. And I think on purpose, can you imagine being called out like that? <laughs> can you imagine if it said, you know, James and John, I asked James and John, but they, whew. But I, th I think that scripture doesn't purposely mention the disciples' names because I think we can identify it with this more because of it. So I asked the disciples, I asked your disciples, Notice that, you're, they're your disciples. I asked your disciples to cast out this evil spirit, that, but they couldn't do it. And then Jesus said, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Now, the them in this verse is the disciples. And I asked earlier, I said, what does it take to amaze Jesus? Well, what does it take to frustrate him? This sounds like frustration, does it not? It sounds like frustration, you faithless people, how, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. That's some harsh words. I feel like that meme would have just been, that would have been the look right around all the disciples. Because these are people who know him. These are people who have walked with him. They may have heard about him initially, but they, they know him. They've experienced him. But I, I don't know that, that Jesus was 
more frustrated because of that or what was about to happen later on in the story. So they brought the boy. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, he, it threw the child into violent convulsions and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. So just a note about that, even the evil spirit recognized the authority that was present in Jesus in that moment. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has this been happening? Now, anytime Jesus asks a question, it always, I always think, did he really, I mean, he already, he's Jesus. He already knows the answer to the question that he's asking. So there's gotta be more to that. But he says, how long has this been happening? And uh, the boy's father replied, since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into, into the fire and into the water, trying to kill him. And I think Jesus was asking him that question because he kind of wanted to see where, where his, his faith was and when he recognized that this was actually a spiritual thing. Then the guy says the money statement in this scripture. He says, have mercy on us and help us if you can. Now you compare that with the Roman centurion statement. Just say the word. Just say the word. Or have mercy on us, help us if you can. You know, and Jesus, Jesus responds to it, but before we get there, I think this man had faith because he had heard as well, so much so that he brought his, his son um, because he, he got to a place where he just couldn't do, he couldn't do anything with it and he wanted better for his son. So he had faith. But I think, I think the disciples created an issue for him in this story. I think they created an issue because he asked one of them who had walked with Jesus, who had talked with Jesus, who had experienced Jesus. He asked one of them to take care of it, to, to can you do this? I, I know I've heard of Jesus. I, I, I've even heard what you guys do. Can you, can you do this? And they try and they can't. So they set up this little crisis for him and his faith where he shows up to Jesus and says, I have faith and, and, and have mercy on us and help us if you, if you can. And Jesus replies with, what do you mean if I can? He says, anything is possible if a person believes. And then the father cried out, and I think this is where a lot of us, myself, people, I think this is where a lot of us live. He says, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. That's, that's an honest statement. I do believe, but Lord, help me. Help me overcome my unbelief. And I often wonder, had the disciples been walking in the authority that they had been delegated, that, that, that power? I wonder if, if this moment would have been the same. I wonder if this man in that moment would have brought his kid to any number of the disciples and said, my son just told the story, probably in tears. And the disciple just looks. I mean, later on in Acts, man, they're like, I mean, there's, I mean he's, you heard Herzen talk about, you know, one of them gets irritated at a lady that's going around behind him who's got a spirit that's actually uh, letting her foretell the future. He just says, out, right? But in this moment, if that had happened, 
I wonder how this man's faith would have been impacted. Because when you walk in authority, it affects not only you, but everybody around you. And you can tell when authority's in the room, right? You can tell, you can be in a room and tell, and they don't have to have a uniform on or anything like that. But when someone's walking in authority and they step into a room, typically they take authority over the room without even trying, because that, that authority's there. But I wonder what, have hap- what would have happened. But again, it's an honest, it's a very honest statement. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I wanna be the centurion. I wanna be the centurion that says straight up, I believe you say the word, it's done, let's walk, let's move. But I live right here. I live with the promise of faith and asking God to help me overcome my unbelief. Does anybody else live there? There's a promise that comes with faith, though. The centurion gets it. This man, this father gets it a little later on in the story. They get the understanding that the promise of faith is reality. That's the promise of faith. Because everything is made up from what God says. If he says it, it is. You know, I mean, one of, the, one of my favorite examples to use is uh, the chair you're sitting on is made up of what God says. And you're like, no, if I flip it over, it says that California, it says it's made up of what it says and what it shouldn't be and it's burnable and all this. No, this chair that you're sitting on is literally made up of what God says, literally. The fabric of it, the reality of it, this table made up of what God says. So the promise of faith is reality. The centurion gets it. The father gets it a a little later on. But do we get it? Do we get it as disciples of Jesus? Do we get the fact that we have authority inside us? We have the same power that raised Christ from the dead at work, living inside of each and every one of us. Do, do we get it that, that we can walk into a situation and someone can come because they've heard about Jesus, they don't know him, but they've heard about him and we can walk into a situation and they know, well, you're a follower of Jesus. I'm having an issue. I need some help. Can you help me with this? Do we get the fact that we have the authority to help? We have the power within us. We have that. Do, do, we, do we get that? Because I think if we really understood that and grabbed a hold of it, we would not shy away from many of the situations that are placed before us that, that God literally places right in front of us. There are times in my life that God has placed moments and I am nervous as everything because I know he's placed that moment right in front of me. And I go, Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. And he says, just step. And I'm like, okay. Do you know that when we step into those moments, those God-ordained moments, that he's, he's already been at work on the other side of this. He's already set you up and me up for success regardless. There was a, there was a time, and I, I've shared this story before. I, I remember I took a, a bunch of uh, students back when I was a student pastor to uh, a conference, and I, there was like 16 of them, and we're all, you know, praise and worship's going on and, and whatnot, and I, I felt like that the Lord put a spotlight on this gentleman on like the second row and said, I need you to go lay your hand on his back, and I need you to pray with him, and I thought, oh, I don't know about that, right? I don't know this guy, <laughs> right? That's the equivalent to I'm walking in publics, and God says, hey, go tell this person that I love them, and you're like, oh, I don't know about that, right? Because the minute I walk over, they're going to like it's going to be all the other way around and it's going to be a hot mess for me. And that's, that's kind of the thoughts going on in my head. But this, this spotlight kind of, and I don't know if it was a literal spotlight or just the spirit spotlighting him. Uh, but I began to have this argument with God, right? Because none of us ever do that. 
right? Anybody? Okay, I'm the only one, right? So I'm having this argument with God. I'm like, God, I, I don't know. I brought these, these 16 kids here. They're my responsibility. I'm supposed to be here with them. And God's like, no, um, this guy, this guy. And I'm like, so that was the first time. And then the second, this is happening really quickly. So I'm, I'm drawing this out, but this is like happening fast. Um, I'm, I'm sitting there and, and I see this kid again. And this kid's got his hands lifted high. He's praising. I'm like, he doesn't need me to pray for him. And God says, I need you. He says the same thing to me again. Go down, pray for this kid. Put, put your hand on his back. Pray, and specifically, put your hand on his back and pray for this, this young man. And I started the argument again in my head. And the third time, God did it. He said, go down. And the minute, it, honest, the minute I had purposed in my heart to argue again, I watched somebody get up, walk over, put their hand on his back and begin to pray. Now that moment for me, you talk about a teaching moment. You talk about a teaching moment as a disciple where God was trying to include me in a moment with somebody. And I didn't believe that I had the power or the authority to do it. And I was afraid. And I remember the words, if, if you don't, I'll find somebody who will. And I, I watched it happen. The literal thing happened right in front of me. And I was like, ooh. Now you would have thought I would have got it, right? Going forward in life, I'd have been like, I got it. <laughs> Say the word and it's done. But I can, I can if we, we could be here all day with the stories where I've argued with God about him saying to do something in me going, oh, no, about that. Is that really you? If it, if it was really you, you're going to have this guy come up to me or the pizza's going to talk to me or whatever. You know, you're, hey, you, had it, you did it with a donkey. Why not? Bring him in, right? So you, you like, I, I could go on and on. But the greatest lesson I've learned is that the promise of faith, the promise of, of God's voice is reality. The promise of listening and doing is reality. So I want to, I want to close with a, with a personal story, like I've not done a, personal, a ton of personal stories here. Um, but this is, a, this is a very cool story. Um, so when I, I was, gosh, I was before I was 30, um, I remember one night I had a dream. Um, and uh, I remember having this dream. I was at a fall festival of some type and there's bonfires. It's a very vivid dream. And um, I was holding this little girl I'll get emotional, so you have to help me with this. But I was holding this little girl. I did this five times and didn't do this once. <laughs> so holding this little girl in this dream, and I felt in this dream that God says, this is your daughter. And I was like, wow. Now, I didn't have a daughter. And uh, I remember thinking, wow, I woke up, and I was like, that was either God or really bad pizza, right? Because that's the way we want to be. It's either God or really bad pizza, um, and so, but I, it was a dream that stuck with me. I never saw the little girl's face. Um, but later on, um, oldest son was born, Asher. And I was like, okay, right? And then I, I went through a divorce and I was like, well, that, that dream is now off the table. I have a son, blessed to have a son, older son, off the table. But that, but that dream stuck with me. And then I met my wife here. And I thought, suddenly, the dream is back on the table, <laughs> right? God spoke, and I believe it was him. And then I was driving home one night from a class after, it was, I think it was a, a winter night, coming home. And I had this spot on the road that I always pick, that that's the moment or the spot that I'm going to quit thinking about work stuff. I don't know if anybody does that, but I, I, that's the spot. 
And I was driving home and I was coming down the hill and that was my spot. And the minute that I hit that spot in the road, um, I felt like God said, you're going to have a daughter and her name's going to be Yana. And, and so what you need to understand is my wife and I already had conversations about kids and we'd thrown, thrown around names, right? And, and Yana was one of the names we'd thrown around. So it wasn't like completely out of place for me to be thinking about that stuff. But I felt like God said, you're going to have a little girl and her name's going to be Yana. So I went home and I told my wife, right? And like, like every good wife, she was like, are you okay? <laughs> are, you, are you sure? Right? And I was like, no, I'm telling you, this, this is literally, this is what happened to me going down the road. And I said, I, you know, and so we went through the process of, uh, we were trying to have um, a little one and struggling with that, like a lot of couples do. And um, then I remember being at church again, coming out of a, a leadership council meeting and, and one of the reps, and I won't tell you who, because I don't know if she's okay with that, but she walked up to me and, and she basically told me, uh, you need your wife, she needs to go take a, a pregnancy test because there's a baby coming. And I was like, I, I giggled a little bit because, okay, come on, right? Uh, so I went home and again, told my wife, like a good husband. I said, uh, she said, da, 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 da. My wife's like, oh, okay, right? And then I, the next morning she took a test and she, I heard my wife giggling in the other room. Like, like, I mean, like full on, I say giggling, but it was, and she'll kill me, but it was like a man giggle. <laughs> like <laughs> she was giggling hard, like almost like, and I said, what is it? And she showed me the test and I was like, huh. And immediately she said, it's a little girl. I was like, okay, all right, it's a little girl. I said, how do you know this, <laughs> right? And she says, I just know. And she's been spot on. She told me what her personality was gonna be like. She told me, and she is, this little girl has been spot on. Um, so I said, okay. Um, and we did the little genetic testing deal and confirmed it, right? You do that early on. And I was like, it is a little girl and her name is, is Yana. And so we go through the pregnancy and um, at, at the very end of the pregnancy, um, wife started having complications, some issues popping up. And we were sitting there and she, you know, she, you know how ladies, you, the closer you get, the more miserable you feel. Well, she looked extra miserable <laughs> that day. She was like, right? And I'm like trying to like, it's all right, you know. And uh, we get a call from the same lady who told me to go home and have my wife take a test. The same lady calls up and says, you guys need to go ahead and go to the hospital. And we're like, all right. And my wife didn't argue. She was like, let's go. Let's go now. Right? So we go to the hospital. It turns out um, the baby was in some distress. And um, 5 a.m. emergency C-section, which are super fun. Um, little Miss Yana comes out and she's not breathing. And it was like, oof. It's that moment where my wife's like, oh, I don't hear her crying because that's what you want to hear. And she's starting to panic a little bit. And I'm like, it's okay. And then finally she, she breaks and cries and she has to spend what, almost a week or so in NICU uh, because of what went on with her. Um, and so I, I tell this story as a way of closing just to simply say, everything is made up of what God says. The promise of faith is reality. And God also protects his promise. When God says it, he protects it. Yana was having issues we didn't know about. He had someone to call and say, go to the hospital. And now we have her. I thought about putting a little picture up, but you'll, you'll, you'll meet her soon enough around here. And she is every bit of a character, little Miss Yana. But God protects his promises and the promise of faith is absolute reality. And if we as believers 
will walk in the authority that he has given us. We will see things and experience things far greater than we could ask, think, or even imagine. And not only us, but the, ones, the people around us will be so impacted. Now, I do want to say I'm not into the whole name it, claim it business because you can claim a Corvette and, and it not happen, right? I'm not into that stuff. What I am saying is if God said it, if you agree with what God, what God said, then you can claim it because what God says is reality. So let's pray. Well, I hope that was helpful uh, to you uh, and my podcast community out there. And as always, if you liked the podcast, if you enjoyed it, I I would encourage you to share it with other people and uh, subscribe to the podcast so we can keep the content coming. Uh, We're going to be back in August with some some of our regular content. So until then, I will see you then and be blessed.